So church, our, our goal this morning and next week in this short two-week series that we're calling Psalms of Help and Hope, our goal is simply to really see and feel from God's own words in the Psalms that God is real, that he's good, that he's big, and therefore that he really is able to help us. And that above all, what's best for us and what gives us the most peace is to put our hope in him. And so that is our goal. And in order to see that again, we will be in the Psalms. And specifically, this week will be in Psalm 46. And the next week will be in Psalm 43. And as for why we're doing these psalms, we could have honestly chosen a a lot of different scripture references or even psalms to get across the point that God is our help and hope. But the reason for these two psalms is simply because in both of them, the backdrop is set where the psalmists are either overwhelmed by the world and things outside of them or overwhelmed by things going on inside of them. And so these psalms will cover both external and internal troubles. And yet in them both, the point is the same. That God is our help. And God really is our hope. And right away in applying that to ourselves, we should know that that's true of us as well, right? We have external things in our lives and in our world. And we have internal troubles. And yet in it all, I hope what we'll come to see more and more in these two weeks. And what these psalmists give poetic proof to is that in whatever we are going through, God is there to help, and he's our ultimate hope. But all that said, that then brings us to Psalm 46 here this morning. And to begin, as a little bit of background on this psalm, what we see here, as you can see in part of that psalm title there, which by the way, whenever you see in your Bibles at the beginning of the psalms, those capital letters, that's technically the psalm title, and that is in the original inspired Bible. But that said, what we see here in part of that psalm title is that this psalm is a psalm of the sons of Korah and it's, quote, a song. Of the sons of Korah and a song. And right away, that's interesting for a couple reasons. First, because as for who the sons of Korah were, these were Levites who served at the temple at this time. But if you know your Old Testaments, and especially if you know at all the book of Numbers, You might know that as for Korah himself, Korah was a descendant of Levi, and he was the main person that rebelled against Moses in the wilderness, questioning Moses's and therefore God's leadership. And Korah in Numbers was eventually judged because of that, which is now known as the story of Korah's rebellion. But but I bring that up here only because that then shows us That the people who are writing this psalm now about God's help and hoping in God are actually Korah's descendants. Which in itself is already a little picture of God's grace. And so that's interesting. But then also second, this psalm title here is important because it says explicitly as you can see that this is quote a song. A song. Meaning very basically this was meant to be sung. (laughs) Right, and that matters for you and me because that means that what we're about to read isn't just some small personal poem that we're supposed to believe, but rather, as one commentator I read this week said on this psalm, he said, quote, this psalm may be called a psalm of confidence. And and I think that's true. It's it's a psalm of such big statements, as you're going to see, that we only shouldn't just believe, but also should make us feel the urge to almost declare out loud, Right, to even sing about. 
And, and in fact, that's what we know these sons of Korah themselves sometimes did. Because interestingly, there's only a handful of places in the whole Old Testament that these sons of Korah, these descendants of Korah are mentioned. And yet one of those times is 2 Chronicles 20:19, And there the Bible says this, quote, And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites, that's them, they stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice, end quote. And now I don't want to read too much of that into Psalm 46 per se, but that said, considering this is a song of the sons of Korah, and it's clearly a psalm, as you're going to see, of such confidence, I think that means that we should therefore read it that way. Meaning, let's be honest, we often, and especially in our skeptical and very sentimental age, can hear something that is a poem or a hymn and just kind of assume that this is supposed to be taken in a softer, almost uncertain sort of way. But instead of that, concerning what we're about to read, this is a poem, absolutely. But it's from these men who wrote this and probably sung this very loudly. And for us then, it's meant to produce confidence in us concerning who our God truly is. And so that's the psalm title, but that then brings us to our outline of how we'll go through the actual psalm together. And so as you can see as you're in your Bibles, if you look overall at this psalm, there's essentially three sections, or better yet, three stanzas really to this psalm. Verses 1 and 3, verses 4 through 7, and verses 8 through 11. And so what we're going to do together is we're going to take each one of those sections and stanzas at a time. And so we'll have three sections this morning. And as for what we'll see in each section, we'll just reveal it as we go. And so in summary of where we're going, three sections, three stanzas, and we'll just reveal everything as we go along. But that said, brothers and sisters, let's begin our first section and stanza here. And again, here we're being in verses 1 through 3. And in basic, what we're going to see here is that God truly is a refuge and help when all seems to give way. And to cover these verses, we're going to take in two steps. First, verse 1, and then verses 2 and 3. And so let's start with verse 1, and we'll start here by itself, because this is sort of a summary sentence of the whole psalm. So look down to your Bible, Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So, so you can see what's said about God here. Because what's said about God in this verse, the real person of the living God, the real being of the triune God, what's said about him is that he's our refuge, our strength, and that he's, quote, a very present help in trouble. Right, each one of those descriptions is intentional and should be really encouraging to us. Because first, the psalm starts there with how God is our refuge. And that word is just the word for shelter. And to us, that may sound less important because we are full. We are in a world that's full of shelters, reliable shelters. But for most of world history, the picture of what's going on here was really significant. Because the idea simply is, whatever's going on out there, God can really cover me as my shelter. I am forever safe and secure in him. And then next, the psalmist says that God is our strength. And that's encouraging because the idea is not only is God himself all-powerful, and most people who believe in God, right, believe that, that God by definition is all-powerful, but also being all-powerful, God being our strength means that when we're weak, he is still strong and he's my strength. Or to say it another way, I'm not my strength, God is. Which means I don't need to be strong in myself as I have God as my strength. 
Which then finally leads in this verse, and maybe most beautifully, to that last line there about how God is a very present help in trouble. And perhaps out of everything this morning, you can make it a goal to really remember that line. Because let's be honest, the truth is when trouble comes, where we might still believe that God is real, yes, and that's great, but then we also tend to put him kind of far away. We think, sure, I know God is big and strong and he's a refuge for his people in general. But then as for me, we can think I'm not that important. Or this situation isn't that big of a deal. And so we just think he won't really care for me here and now. But that's just not true. And that's why that line there is so precious. Because it says that God is a very present help in trouble. And that idea of present there, I think, is supposed to carry the idea of both time and space. Because the the truth of that line is that God is really here, now, ready to help. Or or as the Israelites themselves of old used to confess of God in Deuteronomy 4-7, while the other gods of the nations at that time basically had to be coerced when things were going on to be drawn near In comparison, the true God, the God of the Bible, the Bible says this, quote, For what great nation is there that has a God that is so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? Right, and that's true even now for us who have been brought near to our God in Jesus. Right, so that's, that's verse one. God truly is a shelter for his people, their strength, our help. And now to be really clear, none of that says then that everything will necessarily be comfortable or easy or that it will be how we wish things were to be. The Bible doesn't say any of that. But it does mean that we always have God. God's people, refuge, strength. He's really there, really here to help. Which then leads to verses 2 and 3 in this stanza. And now, as, as you'll see, this is our response basically to the truth of what we just saw. So look at verses 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. And so the overall point there is that because of who God is, although things may really seem to be chaotic and awful, and honestly, although some things may truly be awful, The reality is, because of God, we won't ultimately fear. And you see that in the strong language the psalmist uses, because because notice, the Bible talks about the earth giving way and the waters being moved in verse 2, both of which are hyperbole to prove a point, because the, the, the earth doesn't really ever give way and the water, the mountains aren't ever really moved, but the point is, sometimes it can feel like that. And that's then continued in verse 3 with the language of the waters roaring and foaming and the mountains trembling because of the craziness of the waters. And so all of that is just poetic language about how things may seem crazy and how things may even be crazy. And yet what's our response? Well, God truly is who he is for us and therefore we will not fear. Even though all that seems to be and may even be happening. And really, one last thing on this stanza, really that first word of verse two there in your Bibles that we're there for is so important. And just so you know, that's truly there in the original Hebrew and it's important because it shows us the, the logical and the emotional connection between verses one and verses two and three. 
And it's crucial for the psalmist and it's crucial for you and me. Because think about it. If we don't really believe and feel verse 1. Meaning if we don't really believe and feel that God is who he is. Is our refuge and strength and help. Then when all seems to kind of give way. We, we will fear. Because it makes sense. In our mind and in our emotions to fear all that. But once we believe and know and feel the reality of our God, then the connection between verse 1 and verses 2 and 3 links. Because it's then that we can say, God is who he is, really. And therefore, I don't need to fear. And so, without verse 1, verse 2 can't happen. But with verse 1 about God, the connection in verses 2 and 3 about not fearing is infinitely strong. Not because of us, but because of the God we have. And so that's our first section in Stanza Church. And overall, that's just a summary, as I said, of this whole psalm. And for us then, that's how this psalm starts. I think that means that the, the simplest and perhaps biggest application, though, of this section to our lives is to more and more just start to think that way ourselves. About our circumstances and about God in our circumstances. Because right, let's be honest, all of us in this room in different ways feel the reality of verses 2 and 3 here about the earth giving way. Right now we all feel in different ways and in different degrees. Right? For example, we might feel it acutely about something externally just going on in our lives right now. Or we might feel it particularly with something mental we're struggling with or something physical in our health. Or we might just feel it about the world in general around us. Or for some people right now, right? Especially for those, example, in Florida where Hurricane Ian has apparently produced the most fatalities there since 1935. They are probably feeling verses 2 and 3 due to natural disaster, right? Since the waters literally did roar and flood. And so again, we, we all feel the reality of the world's fallenness, the world's seeming chaoticness, if you will. And yet the reality is, even in all that, God is real. He's the creator, the sustainer, and he's sovereign, as we'll see in the rest of this psalm. And he's our shelter and strength and help. And in the gospel of Jesus, he is so for us in Christ. And therefore, we don't need to ultimately fear whatever we're going through. And so that's our first section in stanza. But that now leads us to the section, second section. And for this, we'll be there in verses 4 through 7. And here the psalmist, as you're going to see, are going to get more specific, talking about how God especially cares for and is with his people in the midst of the seeming chaos of the nations. And for this section, we're just going to read first all these verses together. And so look down at your Bibles. And as you hear this, notice how the nations are talked about and notice how God is talked about in contrast and especially how he treats his people. Verses 4 through 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So first on this section, look at verse 6 there actually. Because while these verses are mainly about how God treats his people, verse 6 is almost the backdrop to help us understand why how God treats his people is so precious. And that's seen in how verse 6 is about the nations. The nations. 
And remember, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word nations is the same word for Gentiles. And so this is talking about non-Jews. The idea is this is, God, well, God has his people, and these nations here are simply people who do not have the living God as their God. People who are not rescued by the living God and secure in him. That's the nations. And quickly then for you and me, that then applies to us because as we know from the New Testament, one of the things that this same God accomplished in the gospel of Jesus is he turned and is turning so many people from the nations, from the Gentiles to become his people. And that's that's a beautiful thing because as the Bible says in Ephesians 2 in the New Testament, at one time you Gentiles in the flesh... That's, I think, every one of us in here who aren't Jews by birth. Quote, at one time you Gentiles in the flesh had no hope and were without God in the world. But now you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Right, so that's us. Part of the nations on our own apart from God wanting nothing to do with them. But in Christ we're brought near. But that says, verse 6 again is about the nations, those without God. And what are these nations doing in the verse? Well, they're raging, and the kingdoms are tottering, meaning nations are always in upheavals, and their kingdoms are unstable, and they come and go. Right? And just looking at that verse, that, that's our world, isn't it? I mean, I mean, people who do not know God in the nations, us by nature, rage. Right? They're angry at this and that, and often are angry with God, or at least wanting nothing to do with God. And just to be really clear, this takes place on all sides of political spectrums. People without God, us naturally on our own without God, don't care about God because we care so much instead by nature, not believing or trusting God. We care so much about earthly, unstable kingdoms. And then we rage in our nature and get angry with things when they don't go our way. That's the nations. That's our world. But finally on this verse, what then is true about God, though, in reference to these nations? Look at verse 6 again. They rage and totter, but, quote, he utters his voice, the earth melts. And that's a poetic way of saying the nations are raging and tottering, but God's got this. He is the creator watching all these little creatures get so angry and heated about such temporary things. And yet, if and when he speaks... When he acts just by speaking, that's the point. He brings these nations to nothing. Meaning, in short, God himself is the ultimate sovereign and judge of all nations and all kingdoms and all people. And that is true now and that will be especially evident when he comes back, when Jesus comes back and he shows that he alone is the true king and ruler. And so that's the nations and God in reference to them here in this stanza. But then that builds us or leads us to the bulk of what's here in this section. And that's how God, in contrast to that, treats his people. And for this, look first at verse 4 again. Because remember there, the psalmist says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And that may sound a little confusing at first, that poetry, but that's actually a stunningly beautiful verse. Because remember, it comes right after verse 3, where the waters are roaring. Right? Much of the ancient world, understandably, as you might know, the crazy seas were often seen as a symbol of danger. Because roaring waters were unstable, and water, in a sense, still today, can be very deadly. And yet, concerning this now verse 4, in contrast to that, 
Also in ancient times, and still today, but especially in ancient times in such a dry climate, water also can be seen as something that provides life. Right, and that has especially been the case when people have considered the benefits of rivers. Right, and that's why uh, so many cities in world history have been built on rivers. And it's why even Jesus, our Lord himself, uses the imagery of water. And specifically, as you might know, of living water, which also can be translated as running water, like a river. Jesus uses that to describe what he offers. Because the truth is, the, the worlds and its, and its ways and the chaoticness are like raging, roaring seas, but God comes and offers life-giving water like a river. And that's why having verse 4 right after verse 3 is intentional. Because let's be clear, this then means that God is like a river to his people. Not, not a raging sea, meaning God is not crazy and unpredictable towards his people, but instead he's like a life-giving river. A river of provision and sustenance and, as our verse actually says, a river of joy. Because notice what the Bible says there. There is a river whose streams don't just provide or give life or basic necessities, but whose streams make glad the city of God. And so the point of verse 4 is that God is with his people. He's with us as a gentle running river of provision and sustenance, yes, but also of joy, which should be encouraging to you and me when we often feel so dry. And so that's verses 6 and 4, but that finally leads us on the stanza to look at verses 5 and 7. And we can group these two together. You'll see because notice in verse 5, the Bible says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning comes. And then in verse 7, the Bible says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so maybe you can see how they're connected. Because what's the point of both of those verses? Well, it's number one, that God is truly with us, his people. And then number two, it's that God being with his people means in verse 5 that he can help. And then in verse 7, it means that being there, he is our fortress or protection. And on this, this means for us that yes, God is everywhere, right? We know that in the Bible, God is clearly omnipresent. And we see this even in the psalm in a way, because remember, God is sovereign over the nations and he's so close to these kingdoms that he can just utter his voice and they melt. And so God is everywhere, And yet also the Bible clearly teaches that God is especially present with his people. And and that's why, for example, when Jesus came, he was said to be Emmanuel, God with us. Because while yes, it is true that God was everywhere already, he was especially present in Christ. And now for you and me, that's true of us who are in Christ. God is really in an especial way with us. Right, and then that is to be a real comfort to us. <laughs> because to use an analogy, just like you and I can be especially present with someone, someone else. And, and I mean really present, right? In time, in space, in a loving relationship with somebody else. The Bible is saying that while the nations rage, our God is gently like a river towards his people and he's with us. <laughs> he's with you. He's, he's with me. And so that's the first two sections of the psalm, but that finally leads us to our third and last section, church. And now here, we'll first see a lot of summary of what we've already talked about in this section. 
But then, especially what we're going to see that's so unique here is that God himself, in this famous verse 10, which you might know, God himself, in the midst of all of this talk, goes from talking in the third person in this psalm to talking to us in the first person in verse 10. Meaning we're going to go, as you're going to see, for just one verse here from the third person talking about, about God to the first person where God talks directly to us. But now that said, let's just read the rest of the psalm. And again, as you hear this, notice how this section has a lot of summary things, but then also notice how verse 10 sticks out, verses 8 through 11. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So so first, let's notice how this is similar and almost like I said, a summary of a lot of what we've seen in the first two stanzas. And that's in how God is really with his people. Right? You see that again in the final verse 11. And it's also how God is sovereign over the chaos of the nations. Right? And we see that specifically drawn out there in verses 8 and 9 because the, there the Bible points out that God is the one who ultimately works the job of bringing justice and making war cease. And that then shows us, as the Bible teaches elsewhere, that God is ultimately in control of the nations and things like wars. And one day he will come back and he will bring an ultimate and final end to all wars and bring justice. And, and on this point, Almost as a side note, I I know for some of us who might be in here, we may hear that point especially, that God right now is actually sovereign and in control of all the nations and what happens in the world, and we may just think that that's not true. Or at least it doesn't seem to be true. And we might think that because it seems to us that human beings are ultimately responsible for what happens in nations, right? And things like wars ceasing. And so we may just be sitting there and subtly think that all this God talk is just religious lingo or feelings or even bogus. But but on that, just briefly, if you're thinking anything like that, here's simply what I challenge you to consider. And that's simply the reality of God actually being God. Not just a word, not just an idea, not just a bigger version of you and me up somewhere, but God. And I know we briefly already talked about this this morning, but I, bring that, I want to bring that up again, that reality, because when, the truth is when we think that human beings are ultimately in control of things like nations or wars ceasing, really that does boil down to subtly thinking that God isn't truly God. Meaning it boils down to believing that God isn't actually God and what it means to be God. But in, instead, we just kind of subtly think he, he's just an, another limited being like us up there, but obviously a lot stronger than us. But if God is real and if God is God, meaning if he, if he really created this indescribably huge universe, and if he's that infinite, and if he proved his power and godness, if you will, by coming and raising someone from the dead, which is impossible, but he did it, then the point is, then thinking that he's actually the one who's in control of the nations, of wars, of rulers, of people, all of which aren't that big in comparison to him, 
believing that then isn't actually that hard to believe. I mean, just look at our universe, for example, for just a little picture of how big God is. And the universe by itself is finite. And so again, think about it. The only reason we wouldn't believe what the Bible is saying, that God is ultimately in control of the nations, is because we don't believe that God really is God. But he is. And that's why, for example, the Bible says elsewhere, like in Proverbs 21, 1, quote, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. (laughs) Because the reality is, that's, that's what's true. Right? There are real nations and rulers and people and decisions. And what we do matters and has true effects. But what the Bible also teaches here and all over is that God really is God. And that is true concerning wars and nations and concerning you and me. And so that is most of the psalm, but that finally leads us to verse 10. And this is a famous verse, but it's also a very unique verse in this psalm because, as I said, it's in the first person. And so God is now directly talking to us, his people. And what does God have to say in the midst of the psalm about him being huge and helping us? Well, before we look down and reread that famous verse, concerning this being a psalm of help and confidence, especially the help part, we could imagine that in this context, if God were to talk directly to us, where we probably naturally would think he'd say something like, be still and know that I will help you. Or maybe something like, the storm is raging out there, but I'm with you, and so fight against the raging storm. Right? Because those might be the sort of things that we would think of And yet, instead of anything like that, and here's perhaps, by the way, in my opinion, the biggest takeaway from the psalm this morning, instead of anything like that, in the midst of the psalm about God's bigness and help towards us, what does he say straight to us, his people? Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And now for us, we might have always just heard that verse and thought it was merely about resting in the truth of God's future exaltation. And that is definitely a part of this verse, as you can see. And the Bible supports this elsewhere. For example, in Habakkuk 2, right? You might know this verse where that verse says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Or as Paul famously says in the New Testament about Jesus, one day Jesus is going to come back and quote, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so that is true of God's future. He has created this world. He has a plan of redemption for this world, which is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is being more and more exalted as that good news is going forth. And one day he will be fully exalted in the nation. And so we should believe that and rest in that. But that said, if that's all we think this verse is about, then think about it. We are missing the context. Because again, maybe you've heard this verse a lot before, but now think about it in the context of this whole psalm. Because again, this is a psalm of confidence that God is really big and really for his people and will actually help us. And so the question is, Why in the context of him helping us is there this direct first person verse about God being exalted? Think about that and I think the answer is because, and again I think this is the biggest takeaway for all of us, 
It's because the truth is that God's saying this to us here in verse 10 about him being so big and God and being exalted is, church, our ultimate help and hope. This verse is our ultimate help and hope. And here's what I mean. Our ultimate help and hope isn't that we have God and now we need to go do our part. We sometimes think like that, but biblically that is not our ultimate help nor hope. It's not work hard and know that I am God. And now, yes, absolutely, as Christians, we do want to obey and serve and work and love for the sake of Christ. And so we are not passive people. But the point is, none of our actions are our ultimate help nor hope. Instead, what is? Well, it's that number one, as for us, we're to be still and know that God is God. Meaning, we don't need to be restless in reaction to a restless world or our restless hearts. Instead, we're to be still and know that God is God and that we're not. And therefore, our lives are primarily about trusting in Him. And that's why, as a quick side note, by the way, it's why in all our actions, personally and in our world church, we need to, we need to be really careful to show that by how we live and how we do things and how we work in our workplaces and how we talk or post on social media, we need to be really careful to show that we're people who really trust God. <laughs> and don't put our hope or trust in other people or what we do or such temporary things or anything else. Because sadly, a lot of what has happened recently is that a lot of us as Christians, we've started to think, just think about it, we've started to just subtly respond to the world's restlessness with our own type of restlessness. <laughs> just in the name of God. And now again, we do want to do good and love for Jesus' sake in our lives, but by definition, we as Christians, as you know, are people who walk by faith, by trust, as the Bible says. Meaning, to use the language of verse 10 here, we're primarily people who realize that our help and our hope isn't in us or any temporary thing or any temporary situation, but it's in being still and knowing that God is really God. And so the point is, in everything we do, we still need to maintain this posture of being still here in this verse for our good, for the good of the world, and for the glory of our God. And so as for our help and hope, number one, as we've been saying, we're to be still and know that God is God. But then also, our hope and our help is found in that number two, God himself will be exalted among the nations and in the earth. And perhaps it is those last two lines there, verse 10, that are most unexpected here if we were just reading this for the first time. Because we get why we need to know and believe that God is God. But you might be thinking, why does knowing that God will be exalted help us? And the answer to that is because, well, it helps us. Because now bringing everything together, if you will, in this whole psalm, This means that the God who is our refuge and strength and help and the God who is with us and the God that we can be still in isn't some small God who is just following the trend of the world and trying to do the best he can. 
Rather, him saying what he says here about his exaltation proves that he is God. He's so big and can control and has us all figured out so that he can promise with 100% certainty, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And the point then is for us, he's got this and we're on his side. Or to say it another way, that the truth of God's exaltation is our help. Because it shows that the God that we worship church and that we rely on isn't some passing fad or mere religious idea. No, he's, he's God. He's got a plan for literally everything. And that then means for us that we can absolutely trust that he certainly has a plan for whatever we're going through as well. And so that's Psalm 46, church. It's a psalm of confidence, as you've seen, in who God is. And it's a psalm about how we, in response to knowing this God and being on this God's side, we don't need to fear or fret or live in a frenzied way in our lives and in our world. Rather, we can be still trusting him as he is our present help and he in his exaltation is our forever hope. Which briefly then and finally all means for you and me that that as we go out of here soon after hearing all this this morning, our goal again is simply to, to think and feel and relate to God more like this. Because the truth is, brothers and sisters, this is our God. And not only that, but, but bringing this clearly now to Jesus in the gospel, we know that this is our God because of how he displayed all this in the gospel. Because think about it, what is the gospel? What is the good news of Jesus? Well, it's that we are part of the nations nat- naturally, right? Raging against God, but God in his strength and love, he comes for his people. And yes, he is the God who is so big and powerful and is able to do whatever he wants. And yet amazingly in grace, what does he decide to do? Well, like a gentle river, he decides to bring justice by laying down his own life for his people and provides salvation and hope and peace in Jesus now and forevermore. And what do we do to receive that? We be still and we trust him. That is our God and that is the gospel of Jesus. And so one last time, church. As for us, at times, yes, things may seem to really be giving way and they might even be. But in the end, we really do have God. The living God, Father, Son, Spirit is our help. He's our hope. And so let's be still and rest in the fact that he, and not us, is God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together.